You're listening to The Jack Skilly Show, brought to you by Hammer Media. Professional hockey player Jack Skilly chooses a different topic each season to explore hockey, sport, and life. On season two, he's looking at transitions and post-career identity. You can learn more about the show and find past episodes at hmmrmedia.com, including additional coaches' education and athlete development resources. You can also follow Jack on LinkedIn for latest updates from him. Now here's your host, Jack Skilly. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode three. This week we have John Mitchell, one of my old teammates on the show. Played with him briefly in, with the Colorado Avalanche. Obviously line mates back in the day when they were calling our line the gladiator line. We always chat, crack jokes about that. Me, uh, him, and, and Cody McLeod. It's a good time and um, he's a great player. He's played 548 to 550 games, somewhere around that mark in the NHL which is obviously a, a huge feat, and uh, I'm just really happy to have him on the show. So, John, uh, welcome, and, and thanks for joining us. Skills. Thanks for having me, buddy. I appreciate it. No problem. It's, uh, it's, this is a good topic, you know, we're covering this season. We're talking about identity um, changes when it comes to post-career um, struggles and challenges when guys uh, shift from – the career that they've always known, uh, being a hockey player or an athlete or whatever, uh, whatever guests we have on the show, uh, to something completely entirely different, something that they haven't ever experienced before and usually kind of like in a midlife area. So uh, thank you for joining us during this topic. It's, it's not easy for all of our guests to talk about because it's, it's some of it somewhat personal, but at the same time, it's a topic that we don't really talk about um, very much when it comes to sports and athletes. So, John, you, you grew up in, in Ontario. Uh, can you tell us about how you started playing the game of hockey and where that kind of the passion for the game started for you? I, I think it's like any Canadian kid or, you know, a, a kid from Ontario, especially maybe that, uh, you know, you just, you, you kind of grow up and you play hockey, it seems like. I mean, that's what my dad did. So I would watch him and, he didn't play professional or anything like that, but just, you know, just going to beer league tournaments or beer league games. And I'd, I'd bring my mini stick and, you know, you would, you'd have a puck or a tape ball or something like that. And you'd be running around in the hallways or, or in the dressing room before and after the game. So you just, you just fell in love with it. And then, you know, I think it all stems off of my father playing hockey. And so that's what I wanted to do is obviously start playing the game as well. And, uh, you know, a lot of my neighbors and a lot of kids that I knew, they all played hockey. That was, like I said, uh, growing up in Canada, that, that that's our sport. And that's kind of the main thing that you like to do. So, you know, he got me into hockey at, at a, at an early age. I, I guess I didn't start playing hockey till I was about seven, six or seven, but he, you know, he had me in skates and, I remember I was in a, I was in a play like the Peter Pan skating play when I was five and it was, I had an easy role cause I was a lost boy. So I just, I just ankle bended and Perfect. skated in circles, <laughs> you know, flailing my arms around or something like that. So it, it worked out good for me. Uh, my, uh, my role in that, that, uh, play on ice, I guess. Very cool. Uh, that's, that's, really interesting that's a totally different start than what i had and i you know would have expected maybe something a little bit different coming from canada but obviously a play on ice that's where it all started for john mitchell that's awesome um <laughs> you know so obviously just to kind of fast forward here you, you play youth hockey in, in ontario you you grow up playing the sport when did you realize that this was going to actually start like, be a career when did that kind of the reality hit you where like wow this my dreams of being an nhl hockey player might come true well, 
probably when I was maybe 15 years old, because I was, I was always playing AAA with my own age group. And every once in a while I I'd go up in age group and play AAA, but it wasn't until my, I guess my draft year into juniors that I figured, well, I, you know, I've got a, a decent opportunity to, to make a career out of this. And it's just, it stemmed because I started the year playing on my AAA team and the junior B team in my hometown, the Waterloo Siskins. So shout out to those guys. Um, but you know, I, I played in the big nickel tournament and then, and then right after that, my junior B coach said, you're, you're done playing AAA. You're just going to play on our team the junior B team the whole year. So I think I was one of three 15 year olds to play in that whole, um, junior B league that's in Southern Ontario there. Uh, it was myself, Jeff Carter, and I think Nathan Horton actually. <laughs> so those were, those are the three of us playing in that league kind of as 15 year olds all at the same time. And I knew that those guys were, you know, highly touted, you know, pr- prospects for, for, for junior anyways at the time. So I kind of knew that I was in, in decent company with those guys. So I would, obviously I would say that it was around that time that I knew that I had a, a decent opportunity to, to make a career out of hockey. Awesome. And then you end up getting drafted by Toronto, correct? So I, mean, I did. That's, that's pretty much the Yankees of Canada when it comes to hockey. So what, what was that like? What was going through your head and, and, you know, with your family when you got drafted? Yeah. I mean, obviously growing up in Southern Ontario and then inevitably getting drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs was something so thrilling and so special for, for obviously myself, but my, my entire family, not just, not just my parents or my sister, but my entire family, because, you know, both my parents are from Southern Ontario. They, their parents grew up watching the Leafs, their parents, parents grew up watching the Leafs. So it, uh, it was, it was really cool and really special moment. We were, we were in Nashville and I went to the draft and I was drafted in the fifth round. And so Pat Quinn, he was, he was, uh, he was the head coach and, you know, Fletcher was there. And, uh, I mean, George Armstrong was there. Cool story. So my, my uncle actually came to the draft with my parents, my sister, and then he brought his son, who's a, uh, my cousin, who's a few years older than me. And so got drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Each team has a suite that kind of wraps around um, the arena. So we go up into the suite afterwards and we're having some food. And my uncle, my uncle Bob, he was an avid Leafs fan when he was a kid. He would go to Maple Leaf Gardens and wait outside and, and get autographs by players. And so when he was young, he actually got an autograph by George Armstrong. And so there was actually a picture in the Oakville, Oakville times or something like that. That's uh, Oakville is just outside of Toronto. And that's where, that's where my dad and my uncle, they all grew up in, in Oakville. But, um, anyways, there was a picture front page of the sports after my draft. (laughs) It wasn't a picture of me. It was a picture of my uncle Bob and flanking him was Pat Quinn and George Armstrong and the smile on his face. He, he literally looked like he was 10. He looked like he was 10 years old again. He oh was, man. He was, he was so thrilled and so happy. And I mean, obviously I was, I was thrilled at the same time, but looking back at it now for, for my uncle Bob to have that opportunity to, you know, kind of meet his idols 
you know, 40 years down the road or whatever and, and, and get a picture of himself and then it inevitably gets in the paper. I mean, what a, what a cool experience and what a great moment and a quick, another quick tidbit. So obviously my mom was there and the, um, Arizona coyotes were, their suite was like two down. And so we were kind of sitting in the seats where you can, you, you can see all the suites beside you. And so Wayne Gretzky at the time was two suites down and my mom spots him and just starts yelling, Wayne, Wayne, Wayne. No way. Yeah. And so he looks and he sees her and he waves and she just, uh, no shame. Can, can we get a picture? Can we get a picture? That's incredible. So I've got a, yeah, I've got a picture with, uh, with myself and Greta and I, I believe my mom was in it. I'm not sure if my mom even got in it, but she was just, she was obviously so thrilled to just see Wayne Gretzky in person. So that's another little, uh, little that's tidbit awesome. about so it was, my, it really, my it was really about your entire family and, and everybody around you that supported you growing up and in a town really too, at the same time. Um, you guys, you kind yep. of brought everybody with you. That's really neat. Um, <clears throat> so you make it to the pros. You, you are in the NHL. This is, this is a kind of a, a maybe a tough question to answer, but I, I know I have my own personal answer to this question, but was professional hockey and playing in the NHL everything that you expected it to be or dreamed of it being? And if so, why? And if not, what was kind of different than what you'd expected it to be or, or dreamed, it, dreamed of it being? Well, I'd never... I mean, obviously I went to a few, a few Maple Leafs games when I was a kid. I, it, those were obviously a tough ticket, an expensive ticket. And, you know, we didn't have a, a ton of money. So my expectations going into, you know, what's the room going to look like and, you know, how are you going to get treated? I, I, I really didn't have any expectations because I was just so, so green to the whole, whole thought of it. You know, I, I just, it was, it was a mystery to me. So I had, I had high expectations, but at the same time I had low, I, I didn't know what to expect, but I knew whatever it was going to be, it was going to be awesome. It was going to be glory. It was, it was just going to be, the, you know, the pinnacle obviously that you made it. And so for, and especially playing in Toronto and for me getting the opportunity to, to get drafted by them and then eventually actually play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, it was, it was, it was thrilling beyond any, anything I could think of, you know, just stepping out onto the ice, you know, even for, for the, our first home game player introductions and your name gets called your number, your name gets called, you get to skate across that ice. You know, it was, obvi- it was called the air Canada center at the time, but just, just to skate, skate across there and hear the fans, you know, the people cheer for you. And, and then when the lights turn on, it's, it was just so much brighter than any other arena I'd ever played in. And that includes the minors or everything. It just, you know, you're there. It's just the bright lights, the, the bright, bright lights, they, they pop on. And so I was, I, like I said, I was just green newbie to it. And I, I was just taking everything in. I, I was, I was in awe for at least the first year or so of, of my NHL career. Just, just the hotels you stay at the meals you get the, the meals from NHL to the AHL are incredibly different. So that was <laughs> so different. That was, another, that was, that was a, that was a huge thing for me. Like I remember playing in the minors or playing in Abbotsford 
and like our pregame meal was at Denny's and it was like rubber chicken, <laughs> a can of SpaghettiOs and, and oh, like so a, a, side, a side salad. And it was just like, that was, that was it. That's what you got to eat. <laughs> that was, that was it. And then you make it to the NHL and there's four tables lined up 12 feet long, each one. And I mean, you could eat anything you wanted and literally anything. And if you didn't like what was there, you could probably order something, something, right? So just those, those little things and, you know, hopping on the plane, you know, instead of hopping on a bus for five hours and you're a rookie and you got to unload the bus when you get in at 3 a.m. in the morning, you got to pick up, you know, empty chew bottles at the back of the bus. Half of them are leaking out with, you know, spit. It's just like, it's disgusting. Horrifying. Yeah. And then you get to the NHL and you don't have to deal with any of that. So it was, uh, it was, I remember, I I remember playing in Rockford and and going and doing the pregame skate for home or pregame meal for home games at the bar. We'd all be lining up at the bar at the Olive Garden. You know, we'd be eating that, the, the chicken parm there, which is obviously the Olive Garden is, is what it is. And it's a, fun little restaurant but you know it, it was totally different you would go in the nhl and your pregame meal at home was just like this dialed in restaurant somewhere with all your buddies all your teammates or you're you're cooking at home or that even some of the clubs make a really great meal for you um and you're right you're spot on it's just totally different and it, there's no question that it's such a awesome lifestyle traveling on private jets and playing, you know, team jets and, and the food on the jets even, and, and just the, the hotels and all everything that comes with it. But you kind of touched on it. You're like, you know, my first year I was green. Your first year I was just like in awe really. And what I kind of want to dig into is like, I had the same thing, man. Like my first couple of years in the NHL, I was like, this is like the coolest thing in the world. But then you kind of start settling into the lifestyle of it. Right. And like things start kind of changing a little bit. And if you're not comfortable talking about the change, it's fine. Um, uh, but if you, if you could share a little bit of like maybe some things, maybe you saw the business side of the game that kind of got in the way, or maybe you, you, you faced some challenges that you didn't foresee coming, that you were in and out of lineup or you weren't getting enough playing time and things that just started kind of weighing you down as an athlete, as an individual, as an identity. Um, and how did you kind of overcome those challenges if those, those ever presented themselves? Yeah. I mean, after, after the first year or so, you, you, you know, you get, you get a little bit more accustomed to it, right? It's not so, it's not so shock and awe. I mean, I think that happens with anything in life. You could, you know, you, you, you get a brand new Ferrari and you drive it, you drive the shit out of it for the first six months. And then it becomes a little, uh, you know, mundane and you're like, all right, it's, I'm used to this now. It's, you know, this is, this is what it is. You go to practice, you get a great meal, you hop on the bird, you fly to the city, you go out for a really nice dinner, you know, in, in whatever city you're in, you know, you, hop out, hop into your, you know, five-star hotel and your king size bed and, and all that stuff. And then, and then, yeah, you just, you kind of get used to it. And, and then it becomes, you know, once you get there, the big thing is, is it's trying to stay there, right? That, that is the the main thing because there's always, there's always a young kid. I mean, there's a draft every single year, right? And those kids are going to develop every single year and, and every team's going to get, you know, most teams get a first, like first round pick, let's say, and you know, the, the you know, that first round pick they're, they're hoping he's going to pan out. Uh, the older you get, 
you know, those younger guys are going to get a little bit older and develop. So it was important to really try and focus and stay on task and, 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 and really do your job and what you're there for and what, and what you're good at. You know, sometimes uh, I kind of got away from that if I wasn't getting enough ice time or maybe, you know, maybe I thought it was, I should be on the power play, but I wasn't. And, you know, you can get, you can get caught in those, those ruts and those situations where, you know, I, I feel like I should be there or I want to be there and, and maybe you should be there. Maybe you shouldn't, but you know, it was, those were the difficult things for me is just, you know, sometimes where I felt like I, I, man, I should be playing here. I could be playing there, but you know, I was, I was more relegated to, to this situation, you know, a third line center, or, I mean, even on the fourth line, I played on the fourth line quite a bit, obviously in, in my playing career, but those are just the, the ebbs and flows of, of, you know, um, a career. If you're not a, you know, if you're not a highly touted first round pick and, you know, I, I, yeah, I got drafted. It was the fifth round and, you know, I, I played f- three full years in the minors before I played a single NHL game. So, you know, I had to, I wasn't given anything and I had to, I had to work and earn my way into the NHL. And that was just, <clears throat> that that's something that I understood right from the get go is that I always had to, to earn it. Nothing was ever going to be, to be given to me. So uh, I think that, that certainly helped me a little bit <clears throat> too is, you know, I had to, I had to earn everything that I got. I had to work hard. I had to hit guys, you know, the NHL game when I first came in is a lot different than it is now. You know, now there's, yep. there's not as much hitting. It's, it's a finesse. It's a speed game, which I thought I, I had some of those attributes too, but I was, you know, I, I made it to the NHL because I skated hard. I skated fast. I finished my checks and I had a little bit of offense that I could, could add to, you know, the bottom six of a lineup. Right. Exactly. And it's, it's a great point you made. Cause I remember the veterans saying that all the time, every year, like every year there's a new draft pick. And I remember being young, it, playing in the minors. And I was, I had a different, little bit of a different story than you. Obviously it was a first round draft pick and highly touted with the Blackhawks. And it, I, I said this in previous, <clears throat> uh, previous season or last season, in, in our show, I never really expected to get drafted that high. Like I was kind of shocked myself when, when Chicago took me so high, I never saw myself as like a 50 point a year plus guy. So I was like, who got, Hey, who got fired for that pick by the yeah, way? Yeah. No kidding. Right. So, uh, no, I think it was, it was Dale Talon. And then he brought me down to Florida and then, and then and whatever that, but anyways, what, what, what did you, what did you have on Dale Talon? I, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know, man. I the guy just you liked me, I guess. He yeah. just liked the old school brand of hockey, and I was that kind of player. You know, that's you brought that up too. That just kind of shift of you look know, from the clutch and grab to the the highly skilled game that it is now, the new NHL. And and I think you brought up a great point. Like I, when I heard all those veterans saying that in the room, you know, there's a new draft pick. I was so naive and so cocky that it was like, yeah, right. You know, I'm the first rounder. You know what I mean? Like I never really got it until I, I spent three years in the minors as well. And I kind of, after my three years, I really had a scratch and claw to stay in the NHL, which, which that's kind of the identity shift for me, right? Like I went from this highly touted draft pick to scratching and clawing to get in my foot in the door and be do scratch and claw to stay in the NHL. And that was like, that was pretty challenging for me at 
22, 23 years old, that takes a level of maturity that I didn't have at that time to kind of just accept where I was at in that time, playing on the fourth line, in and out of the lineup for the Blackhawks, playing really well. Um, Coach Quinville, I think really trying to be patient with me and, and trying to trust me as a player but I just was so full of piss and vinegar and I wanted to be on the power play and I wanted this and that. And I wanted all this opportunity that I didn't get the three years prior. So that clouded my me and my decision-making. And it just kind of later on when I had the maturity, I finally accepted it and it was almost too late. It was almost too little too late. And I think there's that, that identity shift there that just nobody really understands. Usually an NHL player, any NHL player, most likely was the best player on their team growing up or one of them. Then you get into the best league in the world and you're, you're now a small fish, you know? And it's like, that's, that's hard for some guys to handle. Uh, some guys excel in that and they keep growing and, and they become big fish uh, again in that environment. But there's other guys that really have to kind of just understand that, Hey, you know, I'm in the NHL and this is my role. This is the way, the way I'm going to play to stay here. And this is the way I'm going to play to make a career out of it. And there's so many guys I can think of like several in the top of my head right now that have made a career out of just getting the puck out, getting the puck in, being reliable, reliable defensively. And they were probably the leading goal scorers on their teams growing up. So I think that's, that's a really cool thing that you kind of mentioned, just that whole identity part of, the change in accepting your role. Yeah, I, that's exactly how it goes. I mean, every every guy when they're when they're younger, usually that makes the NHL, they were probably one of the top two, three players on their team, their youth team when they were growing up. And they were on the power play, they were on the penalty kill, they played a ton. And then, you know, probably in junior, a lot of guys are the same way. They they had lots of ice time, they played on the power play, you know, they put up they put up numbers and points, you know, that, that was, that was kind of me on my junior team. Uh, the last two years of my junior career, I led my team in scoring. And then, you know, all of a sudden you play the pro game and the pro game is a lot different. You're not playing against kids. You're not playing against, you know, boys, essentially you, you, you come into the league <laughs> and you're playing against men. And so, and it, it was, it was eye opening for me just to go from the junior game to the pro game because the pro game, it was just, you know, we would play the Syracuse crunch and there would, you would look across and warm up and there'd be three guys not even touching pucks with their, with their arms rolled up, look like they weren't even wearing elbow pads. And you knew what they, they were strictly there to, to fight and beat up guys. And for, for me, a young 20 year old, like that was, yeah, it was intimidating. You're like, Holy crap. Like, look at this guy. And, and, to, and especially in Syracuse, I mean, you had, Scroy, Sugden, John Mernasty. I mean, we got in a we got in a brawl in warmups in in the minors, and I think after that they literally implemented a rule where linesmen had to actually be out on the red lines during warmups. After that, so yeah, I remember. You know, it's my first ever pro crazy. game. Like I was playing against Bingo in Binghamton. Uh, I was playing for Norfolk Admirals. I don't even know who their their tough guy was that year, but he was this huge guy. He's one of those names that you listed. He was. And it literally, he was looking at me. I was like the first rounder. And I'm, I'm assuming that everybody kind of knew that. Like it was my first NHL game. You kind of know that stuff about your opposing, the, the opposing team. And this yeah. guy, first, first pro game, sorry. And this guy stared at me. It was like, I was at a D zone draw to start. And he was staring at me. 
And I thought his helmet was going to pop off his head. It was so like, he was like red in the face. Veins were popping in his neck and he was staring at me. <laughs> That's, that and sounds like, that sounds like Yablonski. Yes, it was Yoblonski. hundred percent. It was Yoblonski. <laughs> and I remember thinking you're not in Kansas anymore, Skilly. You know what I mean? Like it was like, you're not in, you're not in college anymore. This is the, this is the pros. You are in the fire and keep your damn head up. And I was, I've never been more scared. Like that was my first ever pro shift. And I got back to the bench. A couple of guys were like, don't worry about that guy. Like I'll handle him, you know? And that was like also an eye opener. Like, Oh, okay. My teammates are going to help, help me out and, and give me some space here. You know, I don't have to worry about, cause in college or any other level, like the guy stares at you and he's coming after you, you have to handle yourself. You know, you have to do it on your own, but you yeah. know, strong pick as a teammate, even just in general in pro hockey, your teammates will tend to you know take care of you in those situations. So that was eye opener for me too. And, you know, obviously identity wise, you know, you just, you get into that trap of the ebbs and flows of the game. Obviously if you're not mature enough to handle when things go wrong, I see young guys doing it all the time. Mike Fisher in our last episode brought it up about if you identify as solely as a hockey player and hockey is your God, basically what ends up happening is every time something goes wrong, you're in the Valley and then something goes well and you're, you're, you're on top of the mountain, you know, and, and you're riding that roller coaster and it's really hard to just be a stable person every single day. If you're, if you're trying to, if you're kind of living the peaks and valleys of, of a, a hockey career, because things are going to go wrong, things are going to go well, but the best pros out there, the guys that are the best pros are the guys that are just calm and they take everything as they come. And they know that it's like, I have a life outside of this game and I can, I can check it at the door when I get home. Right. I agree. And, but at the same time, you have to believe in yourself, right? You said, you know, there's ebbs and flows. Sometimes you're in the valley. Sometimes you're on the top of the mountain. But I, I think it's very important. I mean, uh, obviously, the mental aspect of, of life in general is important. And then at, at the peak or the pinnacle of, of sports, whether it's, you know, hockey, football, baseball, basketball, soccer, you name it, right? When you, when you reach the top, you are going to run into obstacles. You're going to run into injuries. You're going to run into many, many different things. And it, and it all comes down to being really mentally strong in those adverse times in your career when, yeah, maybe you're a healthy scratch or maybe you got a, you got an in, you were feeling it. And then all of a sudden you got an injury, boom, you're out of the lineup. You can't play. You got a rehab, you know, rehab sucks. Like it's, it's, it's not fun at all. So I think, I think for kids coming up, I think it's really healthy for them to go through adversity. I think it's healthy for them not to be pampered and fed with that silver spoon, even though you're the best player. Sometimes, Hey, that best player, you need to be, you you turn the puck over there or, or whatever you need to be sat down because if you're told you're the best, you're the best, you're the best your whole career. And then all of a sudden you make it to the pros and you got, you know, you've got a coach yelling at you. You've got veteran teammates, you know, giving it to you. What are you going to do? Are, are you going to crumble or are you going to, are you going to step up? And I think those are things that young kids, young kids need to be exposed to and learn. And obviously to a certain extent, you, you, you can't just be rate, you know, with 12 over and over again. 
it has to be disciplined, but with, you know, constructive criticism and you have to, you have to tell the kid what he did wrong and this is what you need to do. And this is how you're going to get better so that you don't do it again. I think those things are important. I've, I've kind of learned that cause I've been helping, I've been helping with the AAA program here in Denver and I've gone to a few games and I, I've been on the bench and so it's, 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 it's fun. And I, I enjoy it. I enjoy trying to, to teach these kids the little bit, the little things, the responsibilities, you know, your, your attitude, all, all the things and all, all the above to, to try and, and push them to, to move on in the right direction. And not only in, in hockey, but in life in general, I think that's important that I'm teaching you a hockey skill I guarantee you this will relate to real world, real life stuff. Some, some, some point down the road when you're, when you're not playing hockey or while you're still playing hockey, you're going to need this. So I, I, I enjoy that. Great. And that's perfect. Cause that's a great segue into kind of what I really want to, I brought you on to talk about, cause you're in the midst of it. You know, you're, you're, in, you're retired and to kind of, maybe backtrack to the previous point before you, before you are, you know, actually retired, you were transitioning out at some point, you knew you saw the light at the end of the tunnel that this was it. I'm like reaching the end of the line. When was that for you? And, um, where, where were you with that kind of decision? Um, where were you? obviously with your head, were you, you know, happy? Were you, were you kind of bummed out? What's, what was kind of going on with you? Well, I don't think, I don't think any guy is, is genuinely happy when they retire from the sport and the, and the thing that they love so much and that they've done since they were five, six years old. I, I can't honestly think that anyone is genuinely thrilled to retire. I mean, unless you've won five Stanley cups and MVPs and you know, you, you've done it all. I think you can, you can, retire happily at that point. But, you know, I didn't have any of those accolades and, you know, you, you always strive to try and win and, and get that championship so that at the end of the day, when you do retire, you've, you said, ah, you know, I've, I've, I've won it. I, I did that. So for me, it was tough, you know, just, you know, my, we were, I finished my career over in Germany and, you know, my daughter was eight years old at the time. And, you know, she had to go to international. She, she would start school in Denver and then she would have to go to international school over there. And then once the season was done, she'd have to come back here and then go back into school here. So we, we kind of did that for two years and, you know, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't the right fit for, for my family and for, for my kid to, to have to do that. So, you know, it was, it was important for me to make sure that my, my daughter was, in school in a place where she was going to be, you know, kind of all year round and, and really focus on, on, on her schooling. And then, you know, being with the same group of people that was, that was important for, for, for me and for my family. So, you know, of course it was difficult to, to quit. Could I have played longer? Probably, but you know, it, it comes down to your family and you have to take care of your family first. So, you know, I don't have any regrets about it. I, I still get to play hockey, you know, every, every Tuesday, every Tuesday at the Mallard skate here in Denver. So there's a, there's a great group of guys there that, you know, you still get that, that hockey room, that hockey locker talk, you get that right. feel. And right. that's something that is, that is probably the one thing that I, I, I feel like most guys would say they miss the most Yes, is just being, just being around the guys. 
just being around the guys because you know you could go to any fancy dinner and all this or go to this event that event it is it is uh, it is not the same not even close to the same as just being in the locker room with the boys beaking each other chirping somebody you know somebody toe picks out on the ice you know everybody stands up on the bench stick tapping giggling and laughing like those are those are the things that you miss the most about hockey so I've got a good group here with, with those guys. And then uh, we have an obvious, there's a family here that's been here for 35 years in Denver and he really got hockey going, Greg and Bud Obby. And he's got, uh, they've got their sons here and we've got a skate, you know, on Wednesdays, um, you know, nine o'clock ish. So it's, it works out great. I can put the kids to bed, help the wife. And then I can, and then I can go enjoy myself and, and have some fun and, and still get that, that locker room banter and, and just, and, and just play, play the game because you know, you, you're, you're going to miss it. And I know some guys don't want to touch, touch a puck or touch a stick, but I, I just, I, I just love the game so much still that I all, you know, I, I, I still, I still just want to be on the ice. That's one of the, one of the better parts of the, of the day for me is when I can get out there and, and get back on the ice. Yeah, exactly. And that's what Fisher said in the last episode too, is just having, being around the guys. I mean, he does it. He found it in the form of uh, putting a hunting group together and they all have like a hunting locker room. <laughs> so, so uh, I mean, that's, that's a pretty cool way to look at it. And, and although, you know, everybody that I've talked to, you know, you, we know we have a mutual friend, uh, Tim Burke, that kind of said the same thing. The one thing that he misses the most is just being competitive. You know, as a pitcher, he was a, a pitcher in the MLB forever. And, and uh, he just, when he retired, he just, he, he missed being competitive and striking a guy out. So there's that like little competitive side too, that I'm sure we all miss as well. And, um, you know, you brought up Europe too. You're I'm playing currently in, in Nuremberg or well, obviously not playing currently because of the pandemic, but, um, you played for Nuremberg, the ice tigers. I'm now playing for them. And, and, um, that's kind of, I found that pretty cool. I'm kind of following your footsteps there. I'm experiencing the DEL, which was kind of what you experienced right before you, you ended your career. So, um, you know, uh, Europe's a totally different animal than the NHL. And that is kind of part of your, that was your transition out. Right. So is there a difference when you're playing in the, in Europe as a, as a pr- prior NHL player and you're playing in Europe, how was that for you? How was that different than, than the NHL? And what, you know, can you kind of speak into that a little bit? Well, I mean, uh, the, the DL is a lot more like the, the minors where you're, you know, you're traveling on the bus. I mean, mind you, when I played on Munich, we, we flew a lot, but it was, it was commercial flights and, you know, there wasn't uh, yeah, it wasn't first class seating throughout the whole plane and, uh, you know, a buffet in the middle of the plane or, you know, you could get a drink of whatever you wanted at any time. So there were, there were differences there, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed playing over in Europe. I, I would highly recommend it to, to any player, you know, especially if you have any desire, even in the slightest desire to be able to travel a little bit, because, you know, for, first of all, you're over there, you're already playing over in Europe. That's, you know, thousands of years old. And there's, there's churches there that are 800 years old and they're, they're 800 feet high. And that, that to me right there is just mind boggling how, how they could even build something like that, that long ago with no power, you know, no big steel cranes or, you know, diesel powered this or whatever. So just the, the, the sheer history alone of, of playing over there is cool. But to get back to just 
the difference is, you know, I, like I said, it's the, the DL in Europe in general, I think is a little bit more like, like the miners, but at the same time, you're, you're hopping on the bus and you got a five hour bus ride to wherever. And we're, we're all the same. You know, we've all, uh, a majority of us that have, that play in the DL have played over here in your, or, uh, in North America and the miners per se. And we understand those long bus trips. So you just, it's that camaraderie with the guys. You're, you're playing cards on the back of the bus. And before you know it, you're like five, like we're here already. Like, what are you talking about? I got, I got to win a hand here before we get off this bus. So, you know, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there that it's good. It's good hockey. It's obviously a little bit, a little bit different with the big ice. And uh, the thing I like the most about the DL is that you're allowed to have 10 imports on each team. So most leagues you can have, you know, four or two or, or something like that. So, you know, it was, it was good for me because a lot of the, the, the imports that were on the team were North American guys, you know, whether they were Canadian guys or, or U S guys. So it just, it didn't feel that much different to me. I never had a European coach when I was over there. Both of my coaches when I played for Nuremberg and then Munich were, were from North America. So it was, it was a, it was a very easy transition for me in, in hockey, but to bring my family over there in a completely different language. And when I first went to Nuremberg, my son was three months old. So that's a, that's a feat in myself. So I have to give my wife a lot of credit because that was, you know, you, you would leave and it's like, okay, well, I, I mean, hopefully you got all the groceries and she would have to drive my daughter to school. And then, like I said, go to the grocery store and everything's, everything's different. So, but she, uh, she took right. it in stride and we, we enjoyed our time over there. Yeah. It's, it's a great lifestyle over there for sure. It's totally different off the ice. You actually, for me, at least feels like there's a life away from the game a little bit, you know, in the NHL, you can get really consumed with the schedule and, and trying to rest when you can. It's a longer schedule, a lot more travel involved. In Germany and uh, other European leagues, you're you're within that country, so you're, you're traveling shorter distances. Um, sometimes you're da- traveling day out of the game, and it, it's just totally different. You also get longer breaks; you get more frequent national team breaks where you can go off and anywhere. Yeah, you went to Rome. That was that for, was one of the best parts, right? So you get this like those, those life away. Yeah, you get this life away from the game for the first time, and it, it actually feels like you're kind of living with your family. You know, you're living with your your close ones, and and it's. It's really a great, great experience. And that's kind of why I think it makes for really a much more smoother transition for guys like yourself or me that are leaving our NHL careers and we still have some hockey left to be played. Um, We still have that love for the game and something that's just gentle on our families, gentle on ourselves when it comes to transitioning out and just a lot of fun. So um, obviously, you know, we've, we've been going around 40 minutes here, but I really want to get to the, the, the really important topic. And um, I mean, we've covered pretty much most of it for the most part, but you then go and you, de- you then decide to retire, right? So you're, you're now in retirement, you're sitting in it now today, still um, <clears throat> one would say like, you know, six months to a year of that after post that decision, you have to go through this transition period, maybe internally, <clears throat> family-wise, your life's different. You're, you're actually in the same spot for the first time ever, probably, you know, usually you're used to going six to eight months and one location and then moving, you know, as an independent contractor, really as a pro athlete, you're just bouncing around from place to place and living seasonally. So can you kind of talk about that? Like 
the lifestyle change, uh, what were some challenges that you had to experience individually and maybe as a family from actually shifting gears and being now in one location and for the foreseeable future? Honestly, it was, it was, it was, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. It was, it was, it was difficult. Uh, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat it or anything like that, but that was retiring from hockey and not having a clear cut plan for what was going to be next is, I mean, even still to this day, it's been, it's been over a year and it's, it's still difficult to, to wrap my head around and, and try and find, like you said, that next Avenue, you know, I played junior hockey. I I didn't go to college. I didn't get a degree in, in, you know, business finance or, or anything. So hockey has been my entire life. And when you quit and you don't really, you don't know what avenue you're going to dive into next. It's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult. So like I said, thank God for, for the, the Mallard skate and the obby skate just to, to let me get that release for a little bit. And then I can, you know, try and figure out what's the next Avenue. I've, I've, uh, I've obviously spoken with like the NHLPA and their, you know, their game changer career, you know, life after hockey program. And those guys have been great with me uh, and trying to, I mean, even build a resume, all that kind of stuff. Right. So those are important, important things. And you have those avenues for, you know, anybody that listens to this, you know, ex players that don't know where they're going to go. There's, there's help. You can reach out to, to figure out what's, what's next in your life. And they have a lot of connections and a lot of opportunities that you can, you can get that help from people. So, you know, for me, it was, it was probably, it it was staying in the game of hockey just because I I love the game so much. You know, like I said, some guys, they play the game and they're just, when they're done, they can clap their hands or done with it. They don't need to skate. You know, they can, they can move on to into the business world or, or a different aspect in their life. That's not hockey at all. But for me, that, that was, that has been my entire life. So it was difficult for me to find find what else I like number one. And then can I, can I make it work, you know, as a, as a next career? So trying to figure out those things has, has been difficult and I've, I've been getting help trying to find my, my next Avenue and, and where to go. And, you know, things, things were looking good. And I was, I was heading in a, in a, in a good place in a good direction. And then obviously, unfortunately the, the whole pandemic hit and, you know, a lot of things got closed and shut down. So those, those avenues have been kind of shut down as of right this moment, but, you know, hopefully once, once this is all over with and we can move on to somewhat of a normal life, if that'll ever get there again, uh, those, those, those doors will open again and I can make something of it. Yeah, exactly. That's just spot on, man. I mean, thanks for being raw there. That's, it's super hard. And we're kind of some people that don't understand sports or maybe what it's like to be an athlete might look at that and be like, Oh, you entitled athlete. You made all this money and this and that. And who cares if you got to go through like a tough year, you know? And I, and I can appreciate that kind of stance on it. You know, I get it. We, 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 but at the same time, we are people just like anybody else. And, And the thing is, is like, I talked to Mike Fisher about it. Like, 
we have to have something to do as human beings, right? Well, yeah, you need, you need purpose. Uh, You need need a purpose purpose in your life because when we're playing hockey, we're so regimented. We have someone design a schedule for us, right? We know when we're going to be playing hockey games. We know what time practice is at. We know what time to be there for once we get to practice, we know what time the meeting's at, you know, everything's regimented. Everything's essentially the same, but you know where you need to be. Uh, Someone's telling you where to be, which, which is fine, which is good. But then all of a sudden you quit. You don't play hockey anymore. You don't have somebody saying, Hey, you need to be here. You need to, you need to do this. You need to do that. That's, that's, that is one of the most difficult things is that you don't have a regiment. You know, obviously I have children, so, you know, they're, they're my regiment now when they get up, I get up, you know, when, when, you know, we gotta, I, I gotta get up. I gotta get them fed. I gotta get them in their clothes. Uh, my, my daughter just does virtual school, so she can, she does it in her pajamas a lot, but you know, eventually when we get back, you, you know, that, that is something that I miss too. It's just having the regiment of my children, you know, getting her up, like I said, getting her up, getting her out the door on time. We got to be on school on time. So those were, those are little things, but even once she goes to school, then it's like, all right, what, uh, what am I going to do? What yeah, am I going to do now? What's next? And what are we, what, what's, what's, the, what's on the agenda today? Yeah, yeah exactly. What am I, what am I they, doing today? Right. And, and that's, that's kind of sucks, you know, cause you want to, you want to find that purpose. You want to find that fulfillment. I think that's a big word for me, at least, you know, my, I took 10 minutes away from the game and everybody knows at the father's show, I probably say it a thousand times, but at the same time, like that was a really good learning experience for me because I was in my head at that time, I was retired. So I was kind of facing exactly what you're talking about. What's next? What am I going to do now? What's, what's my purpose? And I started coaching like you, you have, and it was really like coaching was great because it really brought the sense of fulfillment. Like I was actually helping, I was serving a purpose and it was becoming, I was monetizing it. It was becoming somewhat lucrative, not like crazy lucrative, whatever. I mean, it was coaching, charging an hourly coaching fee, but at the same time, like when I focused on money, I was miserable. But when I focused on like going and just being fulfilled and, and living out my purpose and being positive and really helping kids out or helping maybe a parent that comes and talks to me as a coach and needs advice for their kid or running a workout group and, and which I still run the charity workout group here in Park City. Um, when I walk away from those things, I, I was fulfilled, you know, and that really brought more to me than any, any paycheck ever did. And I think that is, at least for me, I don't know about you, John, it's like, if I can find fulfillment and be paid through that, you know, in that process, I think that's, that's like pure gold. And that's kind of what I'm looking for. That, that is an ideal world. I think that's what any human strives to have is to have fulfillment in their life. And then, I mean, unfortunately, if you live in a, in a country like the United States or Canada or, or something like that, you, yes, you have to, you have to make money to, to sustain, you know, have a home and everything like that. But if you can have a fulfilling job and, and earn some money so that you can live in a home and have a vehicle and pay your bills and put food on the table. I mean, that's, that, that is the ultimate goal for, for, a majority of the population, I believe. So absolutely. That is, and I think, and that's what I talk to my yeah. friends about. Sorry to interject, but that's what I talk to my friends about that are like, some of them are just miserable in their jobs or just so unhappy, you know, and I, and I, and like, they have to be there. And I have like, dude, like, I'm not trying to be 
insensitive there. But like at the same time, you know, there's, I always talk to like a good friend of mine, like, it's like, why not try to kind of like transition into something that you love? Maybe it's being an entrepreneur and building a business, an idea that you've always had. Don't quit your job. Don't do anything rash. But at the same time, kind of what you're doing is, is we're lucky. This is where we're fortunate as athletes. We have made the money that we've made. We have that chance for six months to a year, two years, whatever it is, depending on what you have saved to really kind of take the time and be patient with yourself and decide what you want to do next, not feel like you have to do something that you don't want to do. And I think um, that's something that I think is really important. And I, it sounds like for you, like you've had a good opportunity to just sit back and let things you know, roll with the punches. An opportunity comes your way. Maybe you t- test the waters, see if you like it. If you don't like it, you don't do it. You know, and that's where we're fortunate. And I just, when people listen, they can be in any type of situation, whether they're in a job right now that they don't like, whether they're an athlete that's transitioning out, whether they're a person that just lost their job, their career, and they're going into this transition. I just want, the reason why I brought this topic up is I want people to hear it from guys like yourself, John, where it's like, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It's a transition period. It's going to suck there's challenges there and those challenges are actually really good. I love the fact that you brought up being challenged earlier in your career and having to face adversity at a young age and having to scratch and claw to make sure and and earn every single step of the way for your NHL career. And I think that can be, that can be related to any type of career, any type of profession, any type of goal is you're going to be challenged. You're going to face adversity and nothing's going to come easy if it's worth it in the end. And I think that's really important. And I love the fact that you're in the midst of it. I love the fact that you're sharing that. And I, I may, I commend you for it. It's not easy, man. No, it, it, it's not, it's not, it's it, it, but for me, it's not hard to talk about because I think it's important to talk about and people need to hear, you know, if a guy's struggling after his career and then, you know, hopefully a, a year, two down the road, I, I'm doing something successful and I can come back on and say, Hey, this is, you know, it, it took a little while, but I found what I wanted to do. I'm loving what I'm doing. I'm, I'm getting paid a little bit to do it. You know, financially I'm, I'm stable with myself and my family. I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I'm giving back to, to the hockey world or the community. I, I, those are things that are obviously certainly fulfilling is it, always when you can give back, when you can do something for somebody that is, that is, for me, that that's the ultimate fulfillment for, for something in life is being able to give knowledge to, to younger generations, younger kids, and, and obviously hopefully watch them, them grow and, and flourish. And for me, that's, that's, you know, coaching or things in the, in the, in the hockey world, because that's what I know best. But at the same time, we want to, we want to, we want players to grow. We want to, we want to have good players, but we want to create great humans. So that's, that's kind of a little bit of philosophy that I have is I want to, I want you to be great at hockey, but I I also want you to be a great human being in in the community and in society. Right. And that's, that's such a good point too. And I, and I'm obviously love to close with this next question I have, but before we do get to that question, I really want to branch off of what you just said. A lot of people, when they're kind of facing this transition, I myself faced it and I, and I, and I'm not saying like I have the answer, but I think I kind of have a clue in how to kind of survive this and, and be successful with this transition. 
when someone is facing this, I hate my job, I, or I just got fired, or what am I going to do next? These major life challenging questions that you you ask yourself daily sometimes. The first step, the first question that they ask is, what, what am I going to do? Where do I start, right? I kind of, I like to just say it, start with service. Find a way that, to serve, like something that you're passionate about. For you, John, and for me, it's get out on the ice with kids and serve them. You're not maybe initially not even being paid for it. You're just spending your time, spending an hour, a couple hours a week, helping a kid become a better hockey player, maybe being somewhat of a mentor, or maybe be just being a role model for them. That's service, right? That's something that we're passionate about and we're serving. And then kind of take it from there. Maybe it's going to a homeless shelter and, and, and being in the food line and, 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 you know, putting food on people's plate. Something, something as simple as service. Go out and serve and find what you're passionate about outside of work and making money and see where that goes. And <clears throat> that would be my personal advice to anybody that's in the transitional period or facing retirement or in the midst of retirement and not knowing what's, what's next. But what I want to leave everybody with is because you're the guest. I want you, you know, to have an opportunity. Okay. You have a listener right now who's kind of facing this reality of all these situations that I just spoke of. What would be your advice to somebody out there that is listening and might be going through this type of life change and these, these difficult, challenging questions. Well, I, I agree with you. Do something that's volunteer and it can be, it can be anything because you're going to do it. You're, you're going to, you're going to get the gratification of seeing some, someone is getting help from what you, you are doing. And it could be you individually, but it could be you collectively with a group or some sort of organization. But I think those things are important. If you don't know your next step, I think the worst thing you could do is, you know, maybe bottle it up and then just, you know, hang out in your house or, or not try and find another avenue or, or whatever's next. So I'll allude to what you said, just, just getting out in the community, out in the, 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 the world of service, giving back to someone, start feeling gratification, start feeling good about yourself. You know, I think, I think that's something that's also important too. Like giving back is important. Yeah, you're giving back, but at the end of the day, that's gonna that's gonna warm your heart. That's gonna make you feel good about yourself too. And then it just and then hopefully it snowballs in the right direction. And when you're with those people with that kind of mentality, that's you know the service and giving back to the community. There, there's so many things that can happen from that opportunity or or that point when you're giving back and and, and serving somebody or like I said, a group whatever it could be, you're going to find the right people that can point you in the right direction. Right. You're spot on. Thank you for that. And um, I think that's great advice. I hope the listeners are, are taking that and just reflecting on it. I mean, just chew on it a little bit. It doesn't have to be, we're not trying to speak directly into your lives, but if something hit you, just chew on it a little bit, reflect on it and see if that, that applies to your life. And, and John, I really appreciate you joining me today. Um, obviously it's, it's great to catch up with you whenever I can, just like you said, I miss my old teammates and I have, I'm lucky. I still have current teammates that I'm in a group chat with, you know, over in, in Germany. So that's still fun, but, um, just catching up with old teammates is always a fun, fun opportunity for me. And, uh, I just thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And right now I actually have the geek squad over at my house. 
uh, they're, they're installing some, some, some cords in the wire. So I got to run. My wife's looking at me and, um, but I really appreciate you joining John and, and, um, it's just been, it's been a blast talking to you and, and thanks for just kind of spilling your heart for the people that are listening. Yeah, no problem, buddy. Anytime I, it was, it's good. It's like I said, it's good to, to, to talk about this, whether it's just you and I sitting, you know, having a coffee or, or even on a podcast. So I think it's good to, to air it out sometimes and, you know, even give your, yourself a, a kick in the ass to be like, all right, let's, uh, let's get going here. So thanks yep, for exactly. giving me the, uh, the, the opportunity and a little bit of a platform to tell my story. And I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, of course. Anytime. And anybody listening right now, just go to hammermedia.com um, or follow Hammer Media on Instagram. Um, obviously, I'm off social media now. Um, um, so obviously, all the uh, advertising and everything with that will will come through hammermedia.com and Hammer Media's social media. So comment on his page, on Martin Martin's page. Uh, let us know some topics that you want us to cover. Thanks for joining us as always. And we'll see you uh, next episode. 